Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Hello, my name is Beth Williams, and I've been serving the Muslims of Central Asia with Adventist Frontier Missions for the last 15 years. Today I'd like to share with you two stories about some of the challenges and creativity that have to be involved in witnessing in a country that's unfriendly to evangelism. The first story I want to share with you I call Kitchen Conversations. I want to tell this story because it shows an experience we had where someone was having a major shift in their idea of God, which I think is one of the biggest tasks we have in sharing the gospel around the world. Late in May, as I hung out laundry to dry outside, I heard the thud, thud of two car doors shutting outside our gate. I was curious who had come, since the whole country had just been released from a nationwide order to stay home and limit social interactions because of the coronavirus pandemic. We had spent months just being at home except when we went out to do grocery shopping, and recently the government had declared that people could have more freedom, they could go out, we were supposed to have social distancing, but we could visit friends and spend time outside. So I went to the gate to welcome our guests, and I found our friends Iris and her husband Roy. Ah, welcome! Please come in! I led them to our outdoor picnic table under the tree behind the house. This seemed like a better option than visiting inside, since we had no idea about what kind of exposure they might have had to the novel coronavirus because they're both school teachers and active in their community. We visited for a few minutes and caught up on each other's lives. Then Roy said, You shared with me the other day that you're expecting to leave the country in early July, so I told Iris that you're leaving soon. We decided to stop by while we were in town. We'd like to invite you to our place in the village for a couple days before you leave the country. We agreed to visit them that coming weekend. The first evening at their home, according to local custom, we presented some gifts we had brought for our hosts. We gave some toys and books to their children, Iris has been suffering from really bad grass allergies every spring for many years, and we had found that the Nasopure nose rinser helped us with cat allergies, so we gave her a nose rinser to hopefully help with her allergies, too, because it's been such an issue for her. We also brought a gift for Roy, who's a teacher of sociology and has a deep interest in history. I know you like to read about history, and especially how religion has impacted history, We found a book about that topic in a language you can understand, my husband told Roy as he handed him a copy of The Great Controversy. We explained how the book talks about the fall of Jerusalem, the rise of the Roman Catholic Church, the Protestant Reformation, and end-time prophecy. He thumbed through the book and exclaimed, Wow, this is a precious book worth reading. Thank you so much. The next day, while our husbands worked moving piles of hay and stacking them on the byre roof, Iris and I prepared food for our supper in the kitchen. We came to a point where things needed to simmer for a few minutes, and we both sat down to take a break. So, 
Um, did you fast during Ramadan? I asked Iris as we relaxed by the table. Mm, no, she answered, somewhat ashamed. Oh, really? Why not? I asked, curious to know where she stood in her spiritual life. Well, I guess I'm not really convinced, she said quietly. I believe in Allah. I think we should do good deeds and treat other people kindly. We shouldn't cheat or lie. Those are evil things. But I don't see the purpose of fasting. And I'm not really sure I believe in hell. I don't see how a good God could put people in hell forever. We've all done bad things at one time or another, and I don't see how those actions could be deserving of eternal burning torture. Oh, I understand, I said. We also don't believe in an eternally burning hell. Certainly, people who don't repent of their sins will not go to heaven. God can't allow evil people to go to heaven because that would ruin heaven. In fact, they will burn. But according to the Bible, they'll be burned completely and then they'll cease to exist, which is much more consistent with God's character. Iris looked at me thoughtfully. Yeah, that makes sense, she said as she got up to return to the cooking. Meanwhile, my husband and Roy were taking a break from pitching hay. You know, he said to my husband, I think a lot of people in Central Asia are unhappy with Islam. They don't like all the rules and fear-mongering. I think, before too long, a lot of them are going to abandon Islam in search of something better. As we prepared to leave the next morning, Roy and Iris again thanked us for visiting and for the gifts. We'll read the book you gave us, they said. Great, do let us know what you think, we said. Though we're now furloughing in the U.S., we keep in touch with Iris on our phones. Roy doesn't use a smartphone. As they read The Great Controversy, pray the Holy Spirit will guide them into a relationship with the God of love. Before we continue our story, we would like to encourage you to also be a part of Adventist Frontier Missions Contact our head office now at www.afmonline.org. Together, we can reach the unreached. The second story I want to share with you has to do with witnessing around town. We're not always in people's homes, but we still get to see people. And today, I'd like to share a story with you that I call The Shoe Repair Man. I want to share this story because it's an example of some of the unexpected challenges that we sometimes experience working in a country that is not friendly to evangelism and resistant to the gospel. Not long ago, I noticed that the sole of one of my cozy, fleece-lined leather slippers was beginning to separate from its upper portion. In our sub-freezing winter mornings, I rely on my slippers to keep my feet warm. So, I took my slipper to the bazaar and left it at a shoe repair shop. When I returned to pick up my slipper, the shoe repair man asked, So, when you were studying our language, did you learn about our religion too? Yes, of course, I replied, not sure where he was going with this question. Do you read the Quran then? What do you think of it? he asked. We have read it, I replied slowly. I think it is a book that has led many people from idolatry into monotheism. 
As I spoke, I prayed silently that God would guide this conversation. Then I continued, We read the Bible, the Tevrat, the books of Moses, the Zabur, the Psalms, the other Old Testament books, and the Injil, the New Testament. He looked at me curiously, as if trying to comprehend how a person could read the Quran and not become a Muslim. Then he said, You know, the Bible can't be trusted. It was changed. The Quran says so. Oh no, older brother, I replied. Many people think the Quran says the Bible was changed, but it actually says that people have twisted the words of the Bible and act as if it says things it does not. Do you know the Quran says that Muslims are supposed to believe in and read the previous revelations of God in the Bible? Oh, yes, I believe in them, but I've never read them. They aren't available here anyhow. If I bring a copy to you, would you read it? I asked. Well, sure, I'd read it, but it's been changed, remember? I smiled inwardly. At least he was willing to accept a Bible. Following this, I got sick with the flu for about 10 days, and I was finally getting better. I had enough energy to leave the house and visit some friends. My first stop would be the shoe repairman in the bazaar. Before I had gotten sick, I had talked with him about how the Bible is trustworthy and how the Quran says that Muslims should read the Bible too, but he hadn't been totally convinced. The Bible was changed, he insisted. You know, someone else gave me a Bible a few years ago. It said that Jesus rode on two donkeys at once. How can that be? The Bible must have been changed. Really, I said. So what did you do? Well, I burned that changed Bible, he said with pride. I had told him that I would give him a Bible, but now I wasn't sure he was ready for one. He might just burn it once he found something he objected to. Investigating deeper, I found that Matthew 21, 1-7 does talk about Jesus riding two donkeys, a colt, and probably its mother. But does it really mean that he rode them at the same time? According to the commentary, it was common for the mother of an unbroken colt to walk alongside the colt to make it easier to guide and subdue the colt. The unridden animal could also carry the luggage. Matthew states that this fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, which says, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here it's clear that Jesus rode on the colt. Both Mark and Luke also substantiate this by saying that Jesus rode a colt that had never been ridden, with no mention of the other donkey. Some imams, Muslim leaders, teach their congregations many objections to the Bible in order to substantiate their claim that the Bible has been changed. Meeting each objection is tedious and time-consuming, but it's the only way to reach some people. But there are other options we should consider first. The Quran has many verses about the Bible, and none of them say that the Bible has been changed. It only states that people have misapplied and misused the words of the Bible. We can certainly agree with this. Other statements in the Quran confirm the veracity of the Bible and encourage Muslims to read it. Thankfully, I just received a copy of a book that clearly explains these points, so I went to the shoe repairman's shop to give him this book instead of a Bible. My friend gave me a book about the Quran and the Bible, I told him after our greetings. I read the English version and I thought it was really good. Here's a version in a language you understand. I brought it for you today. Oh, interesting, he said. He took the book and set it aside while he continued to mend a shoe. I have to travel somewhere this week, but I'll be back next week, I said. I'll be interested in what you think of the book. I look forward to discussing it with you. Other customers came in, so I bade the man farewell until the next week. 
praying that he would read and understand the book. My next stop was the photo printing shop, owned by my friend whose son learned English from us. I had designed an animal matching game that I needed to get printed. It highlights the most interesting mammals that live in our country there. We were hoping it can be used as a Sabbath game for children to learn about creation around them. My friend uploaded the files to his computer and formatted them to fit the printing area. Wow, what a great game, exclaimed a lady who was waiting for her photos to finish printing. How can I get a copy? We talked some and I learned that she was from a nearby village and knew some of my friends. They had studied with her about Jesus. If you pay for the printing, you can have your own copy, I said. She held up one of her pictures of a little boy. This was my grandson. He was so smart. He could speak English and recite poems. But sadly, he's no more. He passed away ten days ago. She broke into tears. Oh, how can I live without you, my grandson? May God give you consolation, I said. Thank you, she replied. Another picture finished printing, and she poured out fresh sorrow as she gazed at the sweet face. Oh, grandson, you were so young, she wailed softly. We do have hope, I said gently. If we trust in God and enter heaven, we can meet with your grandson once again. Yes, we can, she said, as the last of her pictures finished printing. I need to go now, but tomorrow I'll come back and get your game cards. I'm thankful to have met you today. Me too, I replied. Take care. As the woman left, I began using a paper cutter to cut the game cards. The shop owner asked if his son could connect with me on WhatsApp to practice his English. I was happy to agree. Later that night, his son sent me a message. Several days later, we had an unexpected visit from the Religious Affairs Bureau. The two officials kindly, yet firmly, informed us that we should not be passing out literature. It seems the shoe repairman reported our gift, and the government had gotten wind of it. There are many kinds of people here, with many different needs. Our presence gives God the opportunity to work through us and minister to their needs. Thank you for your prayers and support in this difficult work. Thank you for listening to Frontier Mission Journal. Join us again for more inspiring stories 